With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. So you have these 12 commandments of happiness or of adulthood, and the first one is be Gretchen. So for me, it'd be like be James. Yes. And what if I don't really know who I am? Right, What if I don't know? Uh, And a lot of the things you suggest involve knowing a lot about yourself. But um, what if I don't know anything about myself? Like, I feel real disconnected with myself sometimes. Yeah. That, I mean, I feel like that is the great question of our lives, which is, what does it mean to be you? Who are you? And it seems so easy because you're like, well, I just hang out with myself all day. So, like, what would I know better than who I am? But I, I do think that it's so easy to get distracted by what, who you feel you should be or who you wish you were or who other people expect you to be. It's almost like we outsource our personalities to everybody around us. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I had this weird experience recently where some woman, I was at a dinner, uh, like a cocktail party, and some woman, very nice person, was saying like, well, I love going skiing with the whole family. It's a great vacation. I was like, you know, skiing sounds so great, but like, it just does not appeal to me at all. And I love the fact that my husband has a knee injury, so we never have to feel like we're going to go skiing. She said, oh, no, but it's so beautiful, and you're out in nature, and it's fun for the whole family, and it can be hard, and it can be difficult, and you have an adventure, and you're in this beautiful nature. And she went on and on. I was like, I said to her... Yeah, you know, I totally get it. It sounds great, but I really don't like the cold and I don't like all that equipment and I'm not very sporty, so it just doesn't appeal to me. And she's like, oh. And so she walked away and like 20 minutes later, she comes back to me with this absolutely stricken expression on her face. And she said, I just realized I don't like skiing either. (laughs) This is like the oldest advice. I think know thyself is engraved on the temple of Apollo at Delphi. So this is like something that ancient philosophers have been talking about. But I think part of it is to just pay attention. Well, the thing about your project, I mean, your books, is that they're about very important topics, which is happiness, habits, your own approach to these things. And I also like your approach to, let's call it self-help for a second. I think there's three types of self-help. One is you're telling people what to do. The other is scientists are telling people what to do. And the third is you're telling people what you did mm. and people can either relate to that or not or fill in the blanks and work do what works for them, kind of what you did. So here's your 12 commandments. People yeah. could put in their 12 commandments. Oh, I want to write that down. I feel like that's a very, very helpful framework for understanding like those kinds of personal development books. Yes, I think well, you're exactly well, right. I think your approach to personal development, and by the way, we're rolling. Yeah, so oh, I'm talking okay. to Gretchen Rubin, <laughs> author of The Happiness Project. And um, what's your book on habits? Better Than Before, yeah. and then The Best of the Happiness Project blog, all excellent books. We did a podcast a year ago about habits, but now we're, I want to cover the whole the whole thing, basically. <laughs> Happiness, habits, everything. Um, but we're talking now about our approach to podcasting and personal improvement books. But I know, but I feel like your books are similar to mine. And then I say, I specifically say advice is autobiography. Yes. Like I don't tell people, oh, you should sleep 
15 hours a day. Yeah. Just But sleep sleep yeah. hygiene is an important part of happiness. Yes. So Right. Well, I think that you're exactly right, that when you talk about what works for you, people can connect the dots there. They can figure out, like, well, this is his experience, and that can tell me something about myself. Or, you know, or they can read it and be like, oh, man, this is somebody who, like, was so happy training for the marathon. That is never going to work for me. But it somehow shows them, well, but maybe I would like to dedicate myself to some big project like that. Maybe I want to, like, do intensive guitar for a month. Or, or, or it just gives them ideas for what they could do in their own life. And it also gets you out of being um, preachy, you know? And, yeah. and also, I feel like a lot of times when you do give advice, it's so colored by what works for you. So you might as well just be honest about it and say, like, I think it's great to go to bed early and wake up early because that works for me. But when you say everyone should go to bed early and wake up early because that's the best approach, well, no, it's not. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Advice... Uh, advice and happiness. So, because all this is ultimately, particularly, for, and, and for me and for the listener, I'm assuming this is not about like I could give a shit about how you got happy, yes, right. but I want to be happy. Yes, right. So, so yeah. when I give advice to others, it rarely makes me happy because they usually don't follow the advice, uh, and that would make me happy, I guess, if they follow the advice and they said thank you and life <laughs> is great after. That. But how often do you think people actually follow your advice when you give advice? Well, in my books, I really try not to give advice per se. I try to do exactly what you were saying. I try to say, like, well, this is the, like, I try to create frameworks where I'm like, well, this is sort of the thing that's at play. Um, and then how my, how does it work for me and how might it work for you? So, for example, in Better Than Before, the book about, about habits, I say that the strategy of monitoring, which is when you just keep track of how much you're doing something, is something that works very well for many people. It's a classic of habit change. It works very well for me. Um, but for some people, it's actually counterproductive. And so I just sort of say, this is what I've observed. This is what a lot of people have see is the common experience, but it's not true for everyone. And so you might, and then I try to give examples, um, or like, well, let's you know. look at two examples on monitoring. Cause I yeah. was curious about this. So monitoring a habit is obviously very important. Like here's how that's how the whole idea of the Fitbit watch, for instance, here, you're supposed to walk 10,000 steps a right. day. Right. How, here's how many steps yes. you actually walk. Yes, so exactly. measuring is a good way of keeping track of the success or failure of, of new habits. Absolutely. But let's take uh, monitoring um, healthy eating. And yeah. one thing about healthy eating is not overeating. And so you can track that to some extent, in part with with a scale. So you can get on the scale every day. But I find that that, like I didn't get on the scale for five years at one point, and it was a little, uh, I gained a little weight, but now I'm getting on the scale every day, and I've been losing some weight, but it's also stressful. For when I when I get on that scale, if, I, if it goes up, right. you know, I get like, oh no, what did I do wrong yesterday? Right. Like, so sometimes monitoring is stressful. If I'm um, doing things wrong, I blame myself. Well, it's sort Does of it like- make me happier? I guess, the, the, I guess what you're saying is that when you do something wrong, you can't get away with it. Right, you, or, there's immediate feedback where you're like learning from what you're doing is having a certain result. Now, that could make you happier- it's def you're definitely saying it's making you less happy in the short term. Do you think over the long term, monitoring your weight would tend to make you happier or less happy? If if you didn't do it for another for five years, do you think at the end of the five years you would be like, I'm so glad I didn't do that because I probably spared myself a lot of moments of anxiety and uneasiness? Or would you go, wow, I really wish, do you think there's a good chance you might think that? 
I kind of wish I'd been on the scale more. I I don't know the answer. Yeah, uh, I guess that's right because it's yeah. a hypothetical. Right. So so but but but, but yeah. it's it's an interesting thing though because like take writing as another example. You let's say you write a post on your blog. You can yeah. monitor whether yeah. it was good or bad in part by how much people engaged with it and how many views it had and how many comments it had and how many shares it had. Yeah. So I find writers often live and die by the sword. Mm. You know they write and then they're just ups- They're happy for a second that they wrote and then. They they're um, so upset or happy, depending on how people reacted to uh, well, it. Well, the monitoring there would be, I wrote a blog post. Did I write a blog post? Yes, check. So you're talking about response. now. Others, Writing a good blog post. Well, Because you can gauge that, you can potentially measure that by the response. Well... Let me. I, I think you you can you can monitor you. Yes, you can definitely monitor it. Um, you can absolutely monitor people's response. You cannot control people's response. So that is not something you cannot. I cannot say to myself today. I'm going to write. I'm going to write a viral blog post, James. Today is the day. I'm going to write it. It's going to go six million. I'm going to do it. I mean, people spend their their whole jobs are to do that, and they barely can you know pull it off. Um, so you can't control other people's response. So you can't say, I'm, I can't say, my aim in life is to become a best-selling author because I can't control whether it's a best-selling. I can say, I can write the best book that I can and I can support it to the degree that I can. Those are things within my control. So that's very helpful to monitor because I can change my behavior. Am I more likely to be a successful writer if I put out work frequently than if I rarely put out work? Yes. So monitoring how much I do it. Now, you could say it's useful to get feedback. It's useful to know what works and what doesn't so that I can do a better job in the future. But I don't, you can't, that is not within your control. Mm. And so it might be just, it might be useful. It might be uh, distracting. um, It might help you and it might help you do better, but it's not, you. but just, it's a different kind of thing. So there's the things that are within our own personal control. And then there are the things that we can't control. So like I can control I can control whether I'm I, I'm nice to my husband, but I can't control whether my husband's nice to me. You know, it's just that's one of the sad truths <laughs> about life. So, so, so okay, but but it is also considering that your focus has been your own happiness. Yeah, this is the the truth about your happiness and and happiness p- potentially in general, which is that. Um, uh, focus on what we personally can control. Like I can control how much I eat, but not how much you eat. I can control how much I write, but not how people react to the writing. I can control how I do at my job, whether I show up for the job, whether I do the tasks assigned me, but I can't control how my boss reacts to it. Right. And and that you're saying, well, uh, focusing more on the things that were within your own control could lead to more ha- happiness as opposed to trying to plan too much about what other people think of you. Right. Right. So, so okay. So you you started overall this project like what five six years ago? The 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 happiness project, the very uh, beginnings. I think it was more like nine or ten years ago. Because before that, you were like a political writer. Then, uh, yeah, I wrote biographies. Um, yeah, yeah, I had done, been a different kind of writer. Yeah. And were you unhappy? <laughs> No, you know, I was never unhappy. Uh, I'm a I'm a pretty happy person, and that makes me very typical. Like all over the world, um, if you ask people, are they happy? They say they're either, most people say they're either pretty happy or very happy. So, I was not coming from a place of deep distress or crisis. Uh, but or, what triggered the fact that okay, I'm going to really focus on my happiness? You know, so then you wrote the happiness yeah, project. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was finishing up my biography of JFK. And, I mean, I remember exact. I always remember the exact moment when I got get ideas for books. Um, and so. 
Um, and I was in the Crosstown bus, the 79th Street bus, um, and um, and I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection. And I, I was looking out the window and I thought, you know, what do I want from life anyway? I want to be happy. And I thought, you know, here I am saying it's my most important thing, but I don't spend any time thinking about, am I, am I happy? How could I be happier? And I thought, I should have a happiness project. And that was the phrase that was in my mind. And I went out the next day and got this giant stack of books from the library about happiness. And it was just going to be for me. It was just going to be for me to figure out, um, you know, I've kind of a Ben Franklin approach to life. So I was like, I'm just going to figure this out and make some lists and do some stuff. But then I got into it. And the more and more and more I read and learned, I it get, was leading in all these different directions. And so pretty soon I started thinking, Wow, maybe this would be a good book to write. Um, because Why? Because was it so complicated? All the yeah, research it, and it, it, just, it just felt like I wanted to get more and more into it, more than I could just do. So I often will get obsessed with things, just kind of as side notes. Like right now, I'm obsessed with color, so I do all this reading, reading and taking notes about color. I was obsessed with the sense of smell. I was obsessed with Thomas Merton. I was obsessed with the problem with pain management. Um, Can I ask I mean, you a question? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what does it mean you're obsessed with color? <laughs> You just like I, I just got really well on our podcast. Elizabeth and I talked about um, choosing a signature color, and neither one of us had a signature color. But we, I got all these responses from people about their signature color, and it got me to tune into color. I'm not a visual person at all. It got me to tune into color in a whole new way, and to realize like how interesting color was. So I've just been reading all this stuff about color, and it turns out to be super fascinating, and there's all these brilliant writing, and then you just look at the world in a new way. I'm not, I, to me, it helps to have a particular, like, I have to get to visual things through words, and to doing all this research in color is just making me tune into the world in a whole new way. Mm. But I don't think there's enough there to write a whole book about it. I don't think anybody would be particularly interested in what I have to say about color, but I'm interested. Um, so when I started The Happiness Project, I just thought it was the, the the happiness was like that. It was like this little side project that would just be fun for me, and I would sort of go with it for as long as it was interesting, and then you know whatever. But it was just bigger. You know, it was bigger than for me than the than color. It was. It just kept going and going, and uh, and I was trying to figure out what I would write about next, and I, I thought, wow, maybe this is it. Because it feels big. It feels limitless. It feels like it could keep going, and in fact, it has. I mean, I'm still thinking and writing and talking to people about happiness all the time, and I'm still just as fascinated by it. It's a and, big subject. And before we get into kind of the specifics of both happiness and habits, what's the before and after? Like, do you feel obviously happier now than when you started this project? Well, that is such a good question because— I, Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah, I just yeah. got like a gold star. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I ask questions for a living. Um, uh, because I feel like I'm still my same Gretchen. And so I did one of those tests, you know, that you can take on the uh, Authentic Happiness website or something. And uh, and on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm about a 7. So I'm, I'm just sort of like pretty happy. And I think if I'm on the subway, you know, without a book and just staring into space, or if I'm in bed at night waiting to fall asleep, I'm about a 7. But the difference now is that my experience of my life is so much happier. Like, I have so much less boredom and anger and resentment. I have so many more friends. I spend so much more of my time doing something, things that are fun and exciting. Um, 
I've just gotten rid of a lot of things that dragged me down. I just, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what brings me happiness, not just assuming like, oh, everybody enjoys doing X, Y, Z, but really thinking about, well, is that something that's going to make me happier? And um, and this is so this my is, life this is your is commandment number one is be Gretchen. Be Gretchen. So suppose like going to the ball game, which everyone else enjoys. Yes. You might just say if you were asked, oh, I'm going to stay home and read a good book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or I might say, well, but do I want to do something novel and challenging? Do I want to go to the U.S. Open? Because because it's going to be something different, and like so, maybe I would choose it, but I would put it through sort of my my um, like my uh, my evaluation. Like, uh, what do I feel like doing? What in the long run is going to make me happier? Um, but a lot yeah. of this involves like some and and this is so you have these twelve commandments of happiness or of adulthood, and, and the first one is be Gretchen. So yep. for me, it'd be like be James. Yes. And what if I don't really know? Or who I am. Right, like, what if yes. I don't know? Like, how, uh, and yes. a lot of the things you suggest involve knowing a lot about yourself. For instance, with habits, are yeah. you the kind of person who, um, you know, is an oblige, obliger, yeah. an abstainer, whatever? Yeah. All those different yeah. four categories. <laughs> so, 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 and you have lots of lists. That's why yeah. it's, it's out of trouble <laughs> for me remembering like each title no, of these lists. They all but, run together. But, um, what if I don't know anything about myself? Like, I feel real disconnected with myself sometimes. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I feel like that is the great question of our lives, which is, like, what does it mean to be you? Um, who are you? And I and it seems so easy because you're like, well, I just hang out with myself all day. So, like, what would I know better than who I am? But I, I do think that it's so easy to get distracted by what you feel like, who you feel you should be or who you wish you were, or how, who other people expect you to be, that it's very easy to... It's almost like we outsource our personalities to yeah. everybody around us. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I had this weird experience recently where some woman, I uh, was at a dinner, uh, like a cocktail party, and some woman, very nice person, was saying like, well, I love going skiing with the whole family. It's a great vacation. I was like, you know, skiing sounds so great, but like it just does not appeal to me at all. And I love the fact that my husband has a knee injury, so we never have to feel like we're going to go skiing. She said, oh, no, but it's so beautiful, and you're out in nature, and it's fun for the whole family, and it can be hard, and it can be difficult, and you have an adventure, and you're in this beautiful nature. And she went on and on. I was like, I said to her, yeah, you know, I totally get it. It sounds great, but I really don't like the cold and I don't like all that equipment and I'm not very sporty, so it just doesn't appeal to me. And she's like, oh. And so she walked away and like 20 minutes later, she comes back to me with this absolutely stricken expression on her face. And she said, I just realized I don't like skiing either. <laughs> she had ne- it had never occurred to her that she could just say like, I don't like skiing. Like, it was like, everybody loves skiing. Skiing is fun, right? So, like, how could it be that she doesn't enjoy skiing? And until somebody said to her, you don't have to enjoy skiing. What do you think? There must be, like, a list of, like, common things that everyone does all the time that they don't really like doing. 100%. So, I hear from people all this time. uh, Going to bars. Drinking. I basically don't drink because I don't like drinking. You know, and like people are like, but of course drinking is fun. I'm like, nah, not really for me. Um, shopping, I hate shopping. Um, crossword puzzles, skiing, tennis, watching sports on TV, Real Housewives, Disney TV World. in general, Disney World. <laughs> I think the I think the people who are not having fun at Disney World are very vocal. I think those people okay, all, all they right. all band together. All right. <laughs> yes, um, but yes, they're definitely out there. Not everybody enjoys Disneyland. And um, there's just, I mean, probably everything in the world. I mean, and then I often talk too about treats. Like, what can you do to give yourself a treat? And the thing Things that people give themselves to treat, like, are things that other people would consider to be onerous. Somebody, a friend of mine said, um, if, sh- if she could do anything, she would be, she loves to plan travel, like doing the research, booking the, I'm like, to me, that is like a hated job. I can't right. stand that. But for her, it was a treat. 
doing Latin translations. I talked to a guy who had like a whole club full of people where they got together once a month and did Latin translations for fun, improving user interface, ironing. And then, of course, people do things like gardening for fun, which for some people, gardening is like a chore they very much dislike. So George Orwell in Road to Wigan Pier has this amazing quotation, which I wish I could call up, where he says, like, everything is work to some people and pleasure to some people, you know. Mm. Um, making a hat for one person is fun and making a hat for someone else is like the work that they can't wait to be done with. So, yeah, it is like how to know yourself. It's, it is, it's like, surprisingly example, difficult. Take the example of that woman at, at the party. She thought all along her whole entire life that skiing was fun and like yes. to do a skiing trip with family would yeah. be a great thing. And then suddenly you like just say it and <laughs> she like realizes 20 minutes later, you know what? I never like skiing. Yeah. So how, so given that she, I'm sure she was smart. I'm yeah. sure like everyone else in New York, she goes to a therapist, like <laughs> explores who she is. But they is. never talked about skiing. But like, how do you find out what yeah. you like? And then we'll, I really do want to get into what are kind of the scientifically proven ways to, or more proven ways yeah. to achieve happiness. But how yeah. do you, the first one is really, how do you know what you like and dislike? I mean, I think it's the great question and no one can answer for you. And this is like the oldest advice. I think know thyself is engraved on the temple of Apollo at Delphi. So this is like something that ancient philosophers have been talking about. Um, but I think part of it is to just pay attention. I think like this woman just hadn't paid attention to her true her true feelings about it, her true reaction to the situation. So part of it is just tuning into it. Um, I try to pose a lot of questions because I think sometimes people, they don't notice, they don't pick up on a way that they might be different from, different from other people until somebody points out a distinction. So like, again, this is kind of a rude distinction, but are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? Some people love simplicity, like they like bare shelves and clean surfaces and not that much noise and not and not very many choices and just sort of like one, you know, one beautiful thing. And then some people like tons of stuff on the walls and lots of people running through and buzz and abundance and choices and profusion. And a lot of times people are like, well, no, you know, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. Maybe it does for you because you're a simplicity lover. Well, but, as, as Einstein says, uh, then what does an empty desk signify? Yeah. <laughs> like the perfect comeback, right? <laughs> yeah, perfect comeback. It's just, that, it's just. but sometimes people are like, they don't really think about like, well, where do I do my best work and where do I feel more comfortable? And, you know, well, everybody tells me I shouldn't work in a coffee shop, but actually I get the most work done when I'm in a coffee shop or, um, you know, or I'm working in this busy, you know, this, this open work plan with 100 people around me and everybody else seems to be doing fine, but maybe I need to like find a corner where I can get away because I can't work with all these pe- all this stuff happening around me. And so I think sometimes just by but by posing questions, it can help people dial in on these aspects of their personality, which and sometimes they're just told that they're wrong. You know, like it's wrong that you're like this. So they think, well, I should change instead of like night people, you know, who are at their most productive and creative and energetic later in the day. A lot of times people are like, well, you should become a morning person. If something's important to you, you if it's important to you to write, you should be able to get up an hour before work and do your writing. That's not going to work if you're a night person because they can barely get out of bed in time to go to work. They're not going to do something demanding and creative earlier. I mean, so they need to do it later. So it's just, it's, it's not what should work. It's just think about, well, what works for you? When do you do, when have you succeeded in the past? What appeals to you? There's, there's so many ways for people to do this and, uh, or to do anything that they want to do. And so, um, but I feel like a lot of times we're told, well, if it doesn't work, it's because there's something wrong with you. Instead of saying, well, how do we set up a, the environment and the surroundings so that you can succeed better given who you are? Well, let's say, okay, so many people 
um, have families and then yeah. have nine to five jobs. Yeah. And if you have a nine to five job, that means it's really like a seven to seven job because yes. you're getting, yeah. you get up, you get yeah. ready, yeah. you yeah. go home, you yeah. eat dinner. Um, so, and then there's family, taking yes. care of family. Let's say you do like some creative activity or you want to start to merge into something that makes you happier or explore right. something that makes you happier, even if it's reading, some, you know, yeah. about a new field or whatever. Yeah. How do you start to carve out let's say, areas of happiness to kind of move your life to something that's a little happier for you? Well, I think it's different for everybody because because people's situations are so different. And if you want to make time, um, you need to figure out, well, where's that time going to come from? And one answer is not just like stay up later because that is like sleep is something that people need. It's not optional. Um, for most people, there's probably a lot of things in their day where they, they, where if they truly said, is this the highest and best use of my time? They would say, no, I could be using this time better. It's like what's an example? Uh, watching television. Like mm-hmm. even if it's the show that you love and you've been waiting eagerly all week because you know, you, 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 you're you not even binge watching because you've got to see it live the minute it comes on, then you're really looking forward to it. That's a great use of your time because you're really enjoying it. But I, at least for me, a lot of times I'm like rewatching uh, episodes of The Office that I've already seen three times before because I love it and I just it's easy and it's on you know I can just turn turn it on. Is it like would I in the long run would I be happier if I was reading you know Oh Pioneers? Yes, that would be a better use of my time. So if you know from here from now and again I watch The Office reruns, good, fine. If that's what I'm doing every single day when I get home from work, maybe I want to rethink that choice. Mm. So so okay. Uh, there's the be Gretchen was your first commandment, and that's very personal to to everyone. What are some things do you think that are more uh, general about that could move us from a state of you know mild happiness to greater right, happiness? Right. Well, the one one thing that both ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree about is um, relationships. If if you it, to be happy, we need strong relationships. We need to feel like we have enduring intimate bonds. We need to feel like we can confide. We need to feel like we belong. Um, we need to be able to um, get support. And just as important for happiness, we need to be able to give support. And so anytime you're thinking about like your time, your energy, your money, like, you know, how am I going to get the most bang for my, you know, of happiness for my, for my, my, my efforts? Um, something that either deepens relationships or broadens relationships is probably something that's going to make you happier. So if you're deciding like, should I go to my reunion? Should I go to that party? Should I give that party? Should I uh, go visit that friend? Should I, um, should I join a book club? Should I, you know, anything that, that, that helps you connect with people tends to make people happier. And that's true of introverts, too. They prefer different kinds of social situations, but they, too, get great happiness from connecting with other people. They need a lot of restorative solitude. Everybody needs some restorative solitude, but they also need to connect with people. So so today, what can I do to... Um improve my relationship with people like like for instance i don't want to go to reunions ever like okay, i don't like sure, that kind that's of right. BJ's, i don't like that BJ's, comparison yeah, BJ's, stuff that yeah, happens there yeah um well do you have a friend that you haven't seen in a while that would be that you've been sort of like hey i should call that person it would be fun to get together yeah and in fact this is a big source of stress for me because they keep calling and, and the longer i don't call back i feel guiltier and then uh, i don't call back even more I think what should i do call them back <laughs> all right and then just do I say, I'm sorry, I haven't called? Yeah, you know, or- just say, like, it's just one of those things where, like, I kept doing, I kept wanting to do it, and I didn't, and I'm, you know, it's like one of those things. I mean, I think people are pretty forgiving. Um, if you just sort of, 
say, I'm sorry, I just dropped the ball on that one. I think you're yeah. right. People are more forgiving than you give than, than other people give them credit yeah. for. Like yeah. anything that's important in my head tends to be more important in my head than in their head. And I think people get that sometimes it's just like you have to let things fall through the cracks. And maybe you say to somebody like, you know what? And you're a good enough friend. <laughs> I feel like I could just like kind of be a jerk or something. I mean, phrase it in the way that would be appropriate for your relationship. But I think, and I also think now, like, and maybe this is part of all this social media stuff, is sometimes like somebody will just pop up on your radar. Like somebody will just text you out of the blue, some like little random thing. And you're like, cool. And that's it. And you're just like, oh, it's just like a little thinking of you. And it doesn't have to be a big like reunion situation. I haven't talked to you for two years, but we don't. Ha- I don't have to write you a long, heartfelt email. I just have to say, like, you're still you're still important to me. I'm still thinking of you. Um, so, so in a way, I think that's good. Like, let it be. Let, you know, like a light touch is okay. You don't always have to go in like with you know like it's going to be a big moment. You can just say like, but but if this is also if this is going to make you happy to reconnect with a friend and it's also going to relieve you of something that's making you anxious so you're going to get a yeah, I'm gonna you're going to get two birds with one stone with I that wake one. up in the morning thinking about this one <laughs> well, so, yeah. so so you, you know, know I, um, I want to ask you why you haven't but I will let that go if you don't want to say no I think um I haven't just out of guilt like I the get, wor- longer you waited the worse it got yeah like the first two days were fine but I was just busy yeah. but then I'm like oh I'll call tomorrow yeah. and then the next day is like yeah. oh I feel guilty now and I'll yeah, call tomorrow yeah, so yeah. then it just got out of control oh I know so, we've all it, we've all done it. We've all done it. So you know, relationships is really important because um, there's all these there's all this research on well being yeah. as opposed to happiness. Like they kind of define well being in a different way than yeah. happiness in, in the field of positive psychology. Yeah. And so well being depends on improving your confidence in something, improving your relationships, and increasing the freedom you feel uh, in life. And I don't know how they define freedom, but those are the three things. And how do you think that so relationships obviously very important, but how do how do those three things stand in front of your you know you have all these different things that help you improve your happiness and the happiness right. project? Well, so the way that I think about it that that sort of matches up with them is that well, I say like if you, and I don't get in I don't never define happiness I don't like getting there's something like seventeen definitions academic definitions of happiness and I feel like you know I went to law school like I know about like let's define contract for a semester so getting into this like well being bliss ecstasy happiness contentment you know peace satisfaction whatever like whatever you want to call it fine well just like that thing is what we're talking about. Um, I like that thing. Yeah, yeah, that thing, <laughs> that thing that you want more of. Um, and uh, so w- the way I think about it, which matches up to theirs pretty well, is I think about if you're trying to be happier or whatever that thing is, um, you want to think about fe- feeling good, feeling bad, f- uh, feeling right in an atmosphere of growth. So feeling good is like you want more of feeling good. You want more time with friends. You want more enthusiasm, more of what interests you, more of what you love. Okay, but let me question yeah. you there. So, so, I mean, take drugs, for example. Yeah. Now— I'm assuming neither of us are serious drug users, yeah. maybe mild drug users, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, take a drug like heroin or crack. Obviously, people feel really good when they take it, right. and they feel really miserable when they're not taking it. Right, so and so, so we're talking about what is going to make you feel good over the long term. Not some quick hit of happiness um, or, or, or pleasure, but something that's going to make that you can look back on with uh, without regret. And uh, that doesn't cause you problems going forward. And for some people, that could be shopping. For some people, that could be, uh, you know, food. There's all kinds of things. For some people, that could be exercise. I mean, anything, you don't want something, you don't want to do something to make yourself feel better that in the end just makes you feel worse. So 
that is something that you have to ask yourself. Like, this is something that's making me feel good in the moment. Is it making me feel good over the long term? So that's a very important so it's like, caveat. So, so an extreme examples would be like a total hedonistic lifestyle versus looking at the sunset. So, so both might make you feel you make you feel good in the short term, but chances are, consistently looking at a sunset and being happy about it is probably a better thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is the idea. It's the idea. It's the idea. So there's feeling good over the long term, as you point out. Then there's feeling bad. So you want to get rid, to the degree that you can, feelings of anger, boredom, resentment, guilt. Um, and a lot of that might have to do with the people you surround yourself yeah, with. Yeah. So what can you do to like uh, get rid of the things that are dragging you down? So that's So that's the other thing. So you make yourself feel better by lifting yourself up, but then also from not letting yourself get dragged down. Then there's feeling right, which is a little bit more complicated, which is sometimes we do things to live up to our values that don't make us feel happy. So for instance, you might hate going to the hospital. It's like nothing, you dread visiting somebody in the hospital, you've hated it your whole life, but your parent is sick in the hospital and so you force yourself to go every day and you hate every minute that you're there and you look back on it like ugh, with a sinking feeling and you dread going the next day, but you do it because you're living up to your, to your values for yourself. And one thing that you often see in the happiness research, I'm sure you've run across this, is that people will say like, well, one of the main reasons that people are unhappy is because they have bad commutes, which is something that you never adjust to. And so what people need to do to be happier is to move closer to their jobs. And you're like, yeah, by the way, a big reason that people live far from their jobs is because they want something for their children. They want to live in a school district. They want to have a bigger house. They want, so they're not doing it stupidly, right. they get it. Like, they know that they're going to take a happiness trade-off, but they're doing something they know is going to make them feel bad in the moment because they want to live up to their values, which is that they want to be a good parent. So so sometimes you do things to feel right, which don't make you feel happy. Happiness doesn't always make you feel happy. Um, and then the last one, and this ties into the the kind of the framework you threw out there, is an atmosphere of growth, which is this idea of competence, which is we're happier when we're growing, when we're learning how to do new things, when we're fixing something, when we're helping someone, when we're improving, when we're learning, when we're teaching. Like anytime when you feel like you're making something grow, whether it's yourself or somebody else or something else, you're teaching your puppy to do tricks, you're cleaning your garden, you're volunteering at a nonprofit that needs help with their finances, like whatever it is. That is something that is an engine of happiness. And if you don't have that, you might have a very kind of um, kind of stagnant feeling of happiness. That atmosphere of growth like makes you feel like you have that kind of positive forward motion. So even if you like kind of have a party with your friends all day and it fits your, your what yeah. you think is right and stuff, if you don't also feel like yes. you're growing confidence in something, you might feel yes. stagnant, that yes. happiness. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, you're hanging out with your friends, you're having fun, um, but it's like going nowhere. So, so I tend to have, uh, like everybody probably has their own list of things that they should or should not do. And <laughs> I find that when I'm unhappy or when something happens to me that's bad, that's the most important time where I run through my checklist and see, did uh, I do these things oh, today? What? Or if I didn't, I should because so that'll help me checklist? bounce back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but I'm curious with this, with the things you just said, let, let's just walk backwards from the last thing. Um, what are some things someone could check off? Like, let's say they want to improve their growth or confidence. Yeah. What can they do? So they're, at the, they're, they're, right. they're nearing the end of the day and they're thinking um, they're bouncing back like their boss yelled at them or didn't, some relationship went bad or whatever. Uh, let's, let's check the box on how they can um, grow more today. 
Well, the atmosphere of growth is probably something that's better looked at as like a way to live your life. It's not like a 911 thing. Like I have a lot of like, if you need to be happier the next five minutes, do these things. And probably atmosphere of growth is not what I would plug in. I would plug in something like listen to your favorite upbeat song or like do 10 jumping jacks or something like to give you a quick lift if you're if you need an emergency lift but it might be something like uh if you had like a daily meditation practice that you were really wanting to pursue or you were trying to learn five new spanish words every day you could do that or a new word like a new english word a day or you were trying to keep a one sentence journal or any kind of journal or uh you know it, it, the atmosphere of growth usually tends to be somewhat demanding, which is part of why it's... Now, some kind of growth is sort of mindless, like gardening, but but there tends to be effort involved. And so I wouldn't use it as like, oh, I'm I feel exhausted and depleted, and so I'm going to turn to this thing right now. I don't think that is the best way when but, you're exhausted But then you get into the excuses of like of not doing a habit. Like, uh, uh, so if I'm trying to get better at something, I want to build a habit of trying to get better at something. Right. And and often in excuses, as you mentioned, in you know, um, you, you better than before the, the book right. on habits is that oh, I, I had this happen to me. I had X, Y, and Z happen to me right. today. So today I could take a day off. Right. Uh, so so this does. Well, be, so now so there's sort of there's things that you're trying to make into habits, and then there's things that you're not trying to make into habits. So are we talking about things? That we're trying to make into habits or things that we're not trying to make Well, if I'm trying habit. to grow in okay. some area, okay. I want well, to make it a habit okay. for me. Okay, so if you want to make it, okay. So there's some things that you would do for the atmosphere of growth that wouldn't be a habit because you're like, you're volunteering at a, at a nonprofit. That's not a habit. That doesn't right. need to be a habit, right? Because Although I could say I want to do an act of kindness every day. That's not the same thing as volunteering at. So that right. could be a habit, but like I'm going to go into, you know, like when the executive director wants to meet with me a couple times a month, I'll go in and review the books. Mm. That doesn't need to be a habit. That's just like a task that you're doing with deadlines and accountability and so whatever. That's just like that's like a that's just a thing that you're doing. If you want to make something a habit, okay. So then that's a whole thing. How can you make it into a habit? And I have 21 strategies that you can you can use to to make or break a habit. And so, but you can't you kind of can't just talk about it in the in the abstract because it matters what kind of habit it is and what kind of person you are. So if you give me an example of like, is it the habit of going to bed on time? Is it the example of writing every day? Is it the example, is it the habit of, um, like there's a million habits people could want and and it, it, you sort of have to, you have to kind of tailor your strategies to the particular situation. There's not like a template that works for every habit. Let's stop and take a quick break. We'll be right back. It seems like there are some habits that people should do just for general health, like eat better, sleep better, exercise a little better, uh, be around good people as opposed to toxic people <laughs> and stuff like that. But then there are these habits, of, let's call them habits of growth. So I want to get better at Spanish. Or I want to yeah. get better at writing or I want right. to uh, become a better tango dancer or whatever it is. So so, so in this specific case, because this is part of your your four things of, of being happy, I want to get into the habit of trying to grow every day. Okay. Um, well, so that's too vague. So you have to, like the thing that's important about a habit is it has to be extremely specific what you're asking of yourself. So what specifically would you ask of yourself in order? Well, you well, want, you have this general aim. So what what specifically are you asking well, yourself Well, this is do? a good question because intersected with this, a lot of people say, well, here I am, I'm 
27 years old. This is a typical email. I'm 27 yeah. E- yeah. years old. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I yeah. don't know what my passion is in life. Yeah. I don't know what it is that I want to get better at in life. Yeah. How would you suggest people find what it is they want to grow at? Well, that's a totally different question. So now is that we're, now we're okay? Yes, I'm, okay, I'm moving into, away from habits <laughs> into like how do you find out what you want? Well, it gets back into the thing that you mentioned, long, you know, a while back, which is self knowledge. You, you've got to figure it out, and like, there's in a way, there's nothing more painful than to yeah. like really confront like who are you? What are you good at? What do you like to do? What do you what don't you like to do? Like at what moment did you like? I know you you trained to be a lawyer, yeah. uh, and you were a lawyer. Uh, uh, at what moment did you do did you realize okay, I'm going to go from a lawyer to being a writer, a full time writer? It happened to me like a, there was a confluence of events. So. And I was lucky because I think a lot of people want to leave what they're doing, but they don't know where they want to go. So they know, like, mm, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore, but they don't know what they want. Or even if they want to be a writer, they don't know what they want to write. Like, so it's they, also scary because you're going to have a drop in income. Yeah, well, yeah, but even apart from that, but even just, like, where am I driving my ship? Like, what's where, you know, and... Um, and so I was lucky because I do get obsessed with these things, and this is something that's happened to me my, my whole life. And at that point, I was clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor, and I one day was looking up at the Capitol Dome, and I thought, what am I interested in that everybody in the world is interested in? And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And it was like, ah, power, money, fame, sex. And, A user's guide. Yeah, yeah. So that, so I just started doing all this research. Again, because this is what I do for fun. Okay, here's a big tip off. What do you do for fun? What did I do for fun? Giant research projects. My whole life, I will read a huge amount on a subject, become like get way, way into it, and take thousands of pages of notes for fun, for no other reason that I feel like doing that. That's a big tip off, but I didn't recognize it at the time. So I was doing this gigantic research project, uh, which did turn into my first book, Power, Money, Fame, Sex. Um, when I went over to a friend's house who was an education graduate school, and she had this super boring-looking textbook. And I said uh, in a very dismissive tone, like, uh, is this what you have to read for your program? And she said, yeah, but that's what I read on my own anyway. Mm. And I thought, I want to do, do for my work what I do for fun. Because at the Supreme Court, I was surrounded by people who loved law. They were reading law on the weekends. They were talking about law at lunchtime. They were just like, they just loved, love, love, love law. And I knew that I didn't. So I was like, hmm, okay, well, they are in this in a way that I am not. And... I just began to realize that, um, and then I was also looking at my alumni. You know how you get those magazines from your college and it tells you what all the different people in the different classes are doing? And I realized that when I looked at what people were doing who had really interesting law jobs, I felt like a kind of mild interest. And then when I saw people who had really cool writing jobs, I felt sick with envy. Mm. So for me, envy was a big tip off because I was like, I really, like, I can barely even read this. So it's funny because there's positive uses of envy. Oh, yeah. Envy is a super, super helpful emotion. Painful, but a very helpful emotion for a happy life because it's a giant red arrow sign, you know, over somebody's head. Like, they've got something you want. Um, and so all these things came together. My sister also was a TV writer, so I had somebody very close to me who was a professional writer, and I thought, you know, people do this for a living, you know? Um, I'm doing this on the weekends and after work, but people do this for a living. And then I just came to a point where it's like, you know, if I'm ever going to try, my, my husband and I were moving from D.C. back to New York, and I thought, this is the time. If I get a law job right away, it'll be very hard for me to ever 
deviate, but this is the juncture where I could most easily take that risk. And at this point, I'd rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So why that's, a, that's an important quote. Yeah. You'd rather <laughs> fail at what you yeah. what you love and succeed at something you don't love. Yes, right. And But it was, I had, I, I have to say though, I had so many things going for me. One is I, um, I knew what I wanted to do. I had this idea for a book. I, you know, I had, had done some tons of research on it. So I was like well on my way. I w- could articulate what it was I was going to do. My husband was also switching out of law. So the whole thing, we were all like, whatever, we're moving on. Um, the people in my family, like my parents, it really matters to me. I'm really close to my family. And if they had been dead set against it, it would have been much harder for me. But they were like, this is great. Take a risk. Because um, I was starting over from nothing. Like, as a lawyer, I had all these feathers in my cap. And as a writer, I had nothing. Literally, like, I hadn't written for the newspaper in college. Um, so I had no clips, no short stories, no nothing. Um, so, so so this gets into the, now we get back into the habits. So how did you start growing right. and, and, and building right. the habit of writing, given that you had okay. no prior experience? Well, so this is the, the thing that I learned about myself, a B. Gretchen, from writing the book better than before. So one of the things that has always puzzled me a little bit is people often ask me the question that you just asked me. And my answer is, uh, it's just not that hard. Like, what is the big deal? I love to write. I work every day. I don't struggle with that. Like, I never really kind of You're grasped. not out drinking. You're not yeah, skiing. Yeah, well, but, but it's all, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not that hard for me to work. And but people were like, but yeah, but you didn't even have an agent. You didn't have a deadline. You didn't have a book contract. Like, you know, how'd you get yourself to do it? And I was like, that never... I had many things I had to worry about. That was not something that I worried about. But when I wrote better than before, I, I understood why that was about me. Um, that, you know, I identified these four categories sort of of personality types about sort of meeting expectations. And for me, the idea that I would just be able to meet my own inner expectation of, of writing every day was not hard because I'm one of the rare people for whom that is just not hard. I always thought I was a very typical person, but I'm actually like a freaky, extreme personality. So what if you were and, a rebel in that case? Like what if you were not the, you're the exact opposite of that? So a rebel would write if they felt like writing, if they mm-hmm. wanted to write. So today I feel like writing, so they would write. Or they could say like, well, my identity is somebody who can be really productive. It's important for me to be that kind of writer. Mm-hmm. And then they could write every single day if they wanted to, if mm-hmm. that's who they wanted to be. But the idea that uh, you've got to write every day because you said you would or you're going to join an accountability group or you're going to have a writing coach who's going to like look over your shoulder or um, you're going to have a book editor. I know a rebel who, who he wrote his whole book and I said, well, why did you write? It's, with nonfiction, usually you would sell it on proposals. So you don't write the whole book until you have a contract for it. And I said, well, that's why do you want to write the whole book uh, before you get the contract instead of getting the contract on proposal? And he said... Because the minute I have a contract, they're going to be they're going to be expecting it. There's going to be a deadline. Mm. My editor's going to be asking me where it is, and then I won't do it because mm. I'm not going to do it if they're just telling me to do it or I'm supposed to do it. I do it because I want to do it. So he very wisely did it the way that worked for him. He wrote the whole book and then he sold it, and then he was like, "Great, these people work for me. They're publishing my book." <laughs> so an- another practical, like, like let's say it wasn't writing, but let's say you're in a cubicle working for some large corporation and you want to start your own business, maybe one thing that could happen, there's no deadline to your head, but maybe one thing you could do is research different types of businesses or talk to business brokers or go to networking groups or events. So again, I always feel like I need to, for me, I need to kind of check 
check yes. the list every day that I'm doing something towards growth. But but I think you're exactly right that what you need to do is to to like break a general aim like I want to think about a different career into like what are the what are the specific actions that I'm going to take that are going to that I can consistently do as a habit, like for an hour a day from four to five, I, instead of like hanging out in the break room and talking to people the way I usually do, I am going to do one of the following things. And then you have a list and like every day, did you do that? Did you do that? Did you do that? So then it's a habit and it's also like very specific. It's not like I should really think about getting a new job. Well, like what does that mean? It's too vague. Right. Yeah. So they have to do, do the, they have to make sure they do take that time from four to five or maybe after the kids go to yeah, sleep yeah. or before right. the kids wake right. up, whatever yeah. your time of day yeah. is, to do their 15 minutes, half yeah. hour, and then that's good enough to check the check the box. Yes. Potentially. Yes. So, so now, Except a rebel needs to wait till they feel like doing it. When they feel like doing it, they'll do it. Although if they're going to say, okay, uh, Gretchen says to be happy, I need to do these four things a day, maybe they might, and I want to be happier, it might be important to them than to, to do it every day as opposed to, you know, when someone else is, I, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think, I'm, I'm, I'm relating it back now to happiness, the four yeah. things for happiness. Well, the thing about rebels is they just don't do things well that they're supposed to do. Hmm. So they just have to feel like they, it's what they want, that that is what they want, that that is what they choose. And so so in terms of the feeling right, which or no, the feeling good, which was yeah. the first thing on your list, uh, what are what are the types of things I can do each day to feel good? And again, there's kind of the mandatory things like you have to sleep well, you mm-hmm. can't stay up all night or you won't feel good. <laughs> yeah. You have to eat well. And in particular, there's certain types of foods that'll make you have a more positive outlook on life than a negative outlook. Like if you're constantly eating junk food and then getting sick, you're not going to feel happy in the long run. So, so how do you how do you make sure you're kind of checking the box on the right. feeling good every day? Well, that's a super important question, and I think people don't spend enough time thinking about it, so I'm really glad you've kind of uh, sh- sh- uh, shone a spotlight on it. Um, I think one thing that can really help is to have a list of treats, and this is in, 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 uh, in Better Than Before, I talk about the strategy of treats, which is the most fun strategy, which is that all of us should have a long list of things that we've identified that just make us happy, that make us feel good, that make us feel energized and cared for, that we can do as much as we want. So, um, like, now, I love, What do you mean by do as much as we want? So, like, going to the library is a treat for me. I, for some, like, I love checking out books and I love reading. That's the whole thing. But there's just something to me about going to the library. Like, I look forward to it. I just love going to a library. And I love, like, running around the... St- I have go to an out- open stack library so I can go around the stacks and I take the books. And for me, this is just really fun. It's like, there's no commitment. I don't have to spend any money. It's like a block for my house. Like, everything about it is attractive to me. I could go to the library every single day if I wanted. I could check out books and return them. I could read them or not read them. Like, it's sort of... It's, or my husband loves crossword puzzles. He does crossword puzzles every night. And he just loves it. I don't like crossword puzzles. But for him, it's just like a little treat. Um, or um, or a friend of mine who has to get her whole family out the door before she goes to work. So she gets all dressed in her work clothes. She gets everybody out the door. And then she climbs back into bed fully dressed and just lies there in the quiet apartment for like 20 minutes. And she's mm-hmm. like, it's the best part of the day. So you have to look for those little things. And sometimes people are like, you should take a bubble bath. And you're like, I would hate to take a bubble bath. So it's not that there's no like list that somebody can slip you. You have to think about what is true for you. Do you like, you know, going for a walk in the park with your dog? Do you like going for a bike ride? Do you like, I mean, anything that you can um, do without regret. So because the, the big three of kind of unhealthy treats are shopping, screen time, and food and drink. They can be healthy for some people, but for a lot of people, they quickly kind of spiral out of control. But 
And then, so there's there's the little treats. And then there's also, again, back to relationships. Like, are you connecting with friends? Do you feel like your life is full of meaningful relationships? And so you, would, you might want to have, uh, you know, a lot of things. Like, if you look at your calendar, is it full of things that you anticipate with pleasure? Or do you feel like every day... It's just drudgery that you have to get through. You know, but, then but, you really have to rethink, like, what is this life that I have that I don't enjoy any day? But sometimes I do feel that way. But then when I take a look at it, I say, you know, this is the sort of life that 20 years ago I would have loved having. <laughs> yeah. And I have to realize that yeah. maybe maybe it's in my personality to not like what I'm doing. But I kind of have to ha- sit, take a step back and say, hey, here are the things I yeah. can be grateful about, even if yeah. I don't yeah. on the surface like these things. Well, well, and you're exactly right. The gratitude is a really useful emotion because it drives out anger and resentment and things like that. Because when you're grateful, when you think, oh, wow, I really have exactly the life that I wanted that I, you know, that I, that I aim for. And yeah, it's got its, it's got its ups and downs, but really like how happy I am. Um, I mean, that's one thing about having been a lawyer. Like, as a lawyer, like, ERISA, uh, which is retirement law, I mean, it's complicated. It's boring. And I, like, I had to do so much thinking and learning and analyzing around ERISA. And I could feel my mind, like, like being this team of horses that I just had to control and drive forward. And now I, like, literally every single day, I'm like... I am the luckiest person in the world because I just think about whatever interests me. If this interests me, I think about that. If this bores me, I just leave that part out. And I just feel like I will never tire of that because I remember that feeling of having to drive my thoughts in that direction of something that was just not what I wanted to be thinking about. But but like you said, so when was the last time you had to think about Arissa for a job? Uh, when would that have been? That would have been 1995 or 1996. So 21 years. So this has been a 21-year project, really, in the making, yeah, going yeah. from hating Arisa Law to thinking about whatever you want to think about. Yeah. So let's say I'm thinking about Arisa Law today, and I hate it. Yeah. What's the—and and I'd like to be happier. Um, um, maybe in a relationship that's unsatisfying. I'm in a job that's unsatisfying. What now are the first— like let's say five steps or three steps or whatever, the first step I should take to start moving happier, to begin my well, own happiness well, project. Ex- that, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say, is everyone's happiness project is different. Um, and so, and again, back to this, what we talked about at the very beginning, I talked about my happiness project. I found the, tw- I decided I was going to spend a year doing it. Each month was going to be a different topic, and I was going to identify the things that for me were the 12 things that I thought I needed to work on. So whether that was uh, energy, because if you have more energy, everything's easier, or whether that was going to be, uh, you know, marriage or parenthood or friendships or eternity, which is like transcendent spiritual values or possessions or neighborhood. or There are all different things people could pick. And people might pick things that I didn't pick. You could pick adventure. For some people, adventure is a very, very high value. And they feel like they just don't have adventure in their life or travel or music. It's like I talked to somebody who had done a happiness project and she looked back. Because one of the things I say is, um, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because if you did it for fun, then it's probably... I love this. Yeah. I recommend this too, oh, but go great. ahead. Yeah, so it was probably something you would enjoy as an adult. And so this woman was like, all the way through my um, uh, my grade school and high school years, I did tons of music. I took cello lessons. I was in a symphony. I was in a this, I was in a that. I mean, she was like deep into it. She said, just over time with work and family and everything, it's just completely fallen out of my life. And so I decided that I needed to bring music back into my life. So I signed up back again for CLAT to take cello lessons. I, you know, got went to perform performances and like she went through like three or four things that she had done to bring music back into her life and she's just like it's like a whole part of my 
self that I had let go is now come back to me and I am having so much happiness. But for me, music isn't that important. I'm not into music. I, it's, I, it's a limitation that I wish I didn't have, but I do. So for somebody, that would be one of their big things is music. Um, but there is no... Um, it, it, that part of the fun of it is to think like, well, I, if I'm not happy right now, what would it look like? What would I need more of? What what could I get rid of? What can I get more of in order to be happier? What do I want to learn? So then again, how can you have more feeling good? How can you get less feeling bad? How can you feel have a life more aligned with your values so that you feel more right? For instance, if you say you're deeply committed to the environment, but you do a lot of things that you feel guilty about, or you're really deeply committed to your family, but you really don't spend any quality time with your kids, or you're really deeply committed to... Uh, your faith, but you never do anything about it. Like maybe you need to do something to bring your life into balance with your values. Um, and then this atmosphere of growth. So think think about that and think about, you know, the kind of person that you are and well, what would make you happy. And one thing you bring up in the in the um, um, book on habits is uh, the thing, I forget the exact quote, the thing you do every day is yeah. much more important than yeah. the thing you do yeah. once in a while. Yes. So, and related to that, strongly related to that is doing even starting it off as a little thing each day. So there's the whole kind of um, BJ Fogg study where if you like, yeah. you know, floss well, one tooth a day, eventually yeah. you'll start flossing your yeah. whole mouth. Uh, to me, I'm not that convinced by that because I think that, uh, well, for, first of all, there's a distinction. Some people like to start small and some people like to start big. Many people have said to me, you know, I lose interest. I'm interested in big transformation. I'm interested in radical change. I like to push myself yeah, like running up and down the block is going to do nothing for me. Like, I'm not, I'm not excited by that. I'm not going to stick to that. So one thing is, do you like to start big or do you like to start small? There's no right way or wrong way. You can do it. I gave up sugar overnight. Like, I basically gave up all carbs overnight. Now, everybody would say- Really? Like, no carbs at all? No. I don't eat fruit. Um, yeah. Um, and a lot of people would say like, oh, you should do minor substitution. It's too hard. You're not going to be able to stick to it. That's what worked for me. There's no right way or wrong way. I'm not saying that's the only way or the best way. That's what worked for me. So you could start bigger, you could start small. Now, starting small, um, you might want to start very, very small, but you might want to start big enough so that you might want to start very small, almost insignificantly small, or you might want to start small enough that it feels less burdensome, but also big enough that it feels like you're going to really make progress. I think if it's too de minimis, people might start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is this whole, pro it's going to take me a year to get to my whole mouth of flossing. Like you can be discouraging. But again, I wouldn't say that there's a right way or wrong way. Whatever works for you. And if one way doesn't work, try another way. If, if, if you try the big radical change and it doesn't stick, then try the little tiny change and maybe that'll work better for you. It's just it's an experiment. Experiment on yourself. Well, it's interesting because like relationships is a big part of happiness yes. and, and habits for me. And so, so, and it's one of those things I check every day. Do I, did I improve my relationships positively and also decrease the negative yeah, aspect yeah. of my relationship? So Smart. I make sure I check those boxes. And sometimes it has to be small because let's say you're in a job yeah. with a boss you don't like, uh, you know, you can't just quit the job or in many right. cases you can't just quit the job, right. but maybe you could uh, not go down the hallway yeah. they're walking down <laughs> or, you know, yeah. not report in yeah. as much yeah. um, or yeah. whatever it is. Yes. I don't know. Right. Or you have an exchange by email instead of face-to-face because -face you yeah. know that it just like this person drives you crazy. Right. So so I always make sure that I, I whatever, however little it is, I've yes. at least thought well, about that's checking a good the way box. To, yes. That's very interesting. That's a good way to think about it, about like these sort of maintenance uh, practices that you want to go through. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, it yeah. seems like habits are um, 
not I don't want to say shortcuts to happiness, but a way to set up your life to 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 shortcut your way to happiness. So, 100%. So so 100%. so given that like and given the fact that we also still want to be adventurous and explore new things, we yeah. don't want to be creatures of habit. <laughs> you know, it's funny how habits are good, but then there's also this yeah. notion of creatures of habit yeah. that makes habits bad. Yeah. So how do you fall yeah. within the middle yeah. of that? You know yeah. you're not just down this cycle of habit that, yeah. that's bad for you. Well, you you put your finger on kind of the central tension of happiness of habits because on the one hand they're freeing and energizing cuz they they put behaviors on autopilot so we don't have to battle with ourselves about like oh am I going to go to the gym? You just go and then it's easy and that's that frees you up. But you're exactly right that one of the things that brings happiness is novelty and challenge. And people who do new things, even things like going to a new restaurant, um, are happier than people who always stick by the old and the familiar. And so, and the thing about habits is they can really lock in with iron strength. And so you're absolutely right that you have to make sure that the habits are working for you, but you're conscious enough of them that they don't start to control you or limit your sense of possibility. Now, for some people, this is harder than others. Like for me, as an upholder, I was saying how I have a very high aptitude for for behavior that is more of a risk because I get very wedded to my habits. I take great pleasure in them. And so it can be hard for me to change plans or be spontaneous or to do something new because I'm like, but I have to go to bed at 10.30 p.m., you know. Um, but And for some people, that's less of an issue. But I think you're, you're quite right that everyone should be very aware of that line because you don't want to become a bureaucrat just like filling paperwork in your own life. You want to feel like they're helping you get the life that you want but not preventing you from getting other things that you value. So um, it is, it's... Like many things in happiness, it's sort of they're both true. You want to you want to you want to use habits, but you also want to yeah. Every medicine becomes poison, and mm-hmm. habits certainly is one of those things where too much of it um, can be can can be a problem. Like I'd like to, but like very important to me is writing and podcasting yeah. and all these things that are creative in my life. And the one thing I feel that that gets in the way of, I feel it's almost like they're almost they're not opposite of each other, but they seem to. This period of time during the day, I could either be doing something creative or I could be going to the gym and exercising. Yeah. And I hate exercise. Yeah. I hate going to the gym. Yeah. I don't hate exercising. I hate going to the gym. Oh, okay. Ooh, okay. But, but, and actually, I hate exercising, to be okay. honest. Yeah. So, I so, so, but I realize it's something that's good for me. Yeah. And it seems to get in the way of my, of, of my doing what I love, which is writing. So, how would, if you were me, how would you start to build the habit of, exercising a little more, which we also know could lead to greater happiness, like movement in general leads to greater happiness. Okay. Well, can we really get into it right now? Yes. Okay. So what is your, what is your exercise routine now? I do nothing. I mean, I'll sometimes take walks and twice a week, maybe I'll go to the gym, but I would like to do more. And when you go to the gym, how do you, how long do you go for and what do you do? Uh, hour to an hour and a half. Okay. And I'll run and do weight machines with a personal trainer. Okay. Um, and uh, but but it feels like such hard work that yeah. by the time I'm done, I hate it. Yeah. Um, do you feel like what if you went for less time? Like strength training, you could only do at most twice a week. So you couldn't do you couldn't do strength training every day. Is that day. true? I know people who do strength training every day. Uh, well, if you do, are you doing high intensity strength training? 
I don't know. I don't even know what that means. That's okay. how bad I am at all. Oh, okay. Well, I do high intensity strength training, and that's when you work to the outer limits of your strength. Do I do like eight repetitions until I like literally my I'm shaking and 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 that you can only do twice a week because it's and that's re- the most efficient way to do it, and it only takes twenty minutes to do like a whole workout. So, and yes, that's what I do. That's what you do. Okay. So I would say I think a responsible trainer would tell you that you couldn't do it more than twice a week. So okay. what if you did? What if you and when you do that, that's probably like thirty minutes of strength yeah. training. Okay. So what if you did? What if you went? What if you tried to? To go to the gym four times a week, twice a week you did strength training, and twice a week you did cardio, and then one other day you just went for a walk. You mm. you know you weren't going to the gym; you're just going for a walk. So again, you're saying so, like, so you, it would be more of a habit to go to the gym because sometimes doing something it's easier to do something every day or almost every day than to do it sometimes. And so twice a week is just enough to be like super onerous to my mind. If you went four times a week and it was less strenuous, like it was, you were in and out, and so you didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm spending half my day. I'm losing out all this creative time. So it was like in and out more. Um, you uh, you might find it less less awful. Um, and then like, what do you do for cardio? What are you doing for the cardio? Uh, like sprints on a treadmill. Sprints on, so that's onerous. That's hard. That's yes. hard. Okay. But I'll only do that, I can only do that for like 10 minutes. Okay. So what if you went to the gym? So if you're going to the gym four times a week, twice a week it's for like 10 to 20 minutes. Hmm. Twice a week it's like 20 to 30 minutes. That might feel easier. Yeah. You might you f- might feel less dread of it. You might get into the habit of it more so it wouldn't weigh on your mind because you're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to the gym. Like I would say if you can, always go the same time if you can. Yeah, it might not be possible because your schedule probably changes all the time. But the more automated it is, like if you could do it on your way into work, like I don't know if you take a shower in the morning, you could just like take your shower at the gym um, because you'd have less dread. You'd be getting more exercise. You, uh, it would feel less like a giant ch- chunk out of your day where it's battling with other things that you think are important. Um, there's a value, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's to me there's a real value in walking and that there's a lot of thoughts that come through walking that you're not going to get if you're sprinting at the gym. So maybe you don't want to cut walking out, but maybe once or twice a week. Um, that would be exercising. So that's great. So that's like, you could almost do that with any type of habit. So for instance, for me, I used to feel like I had to both write and publish every single day. Mm. And now I've kind of like chopped it down to, I need, so, so I don't feel bad at the end of the day to just being creative every day. So mm. if I take a good photograph yeah. or if, I, uh, if we do this podcast right. or yes. I write, but not publish, yes. I did it. I got yes. it done. I could check it on my yes. list. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Because it's like you, something has been created. It yeah. doesn't have to be a specific thing. It's the idea that you're like you're you're being productive and 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 yeah, uh, tapping into yourself. Yeah. Right. So I think that idea of reducing uh, along the lines of the habits that will increase my happiness. If I just can check those boxes, yeah. I'm good. It's made me much freer in life. Yeah. Like I've I've become a minimalist of the things I want to do. Yeah. 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 No, that's an interesting way to think about it. I feel like my impulse is to become too minimal that I cut away too much. So I have to battle that in myself. Like but, in what way did you do that? Um, like, well, my family, we were trying to think about whether to get a dog. And I, you know, did all my happiness analysis. And by the way, the the, 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 the research on this is overwhelming that like people who have pets are happier. Really? So, okay, yeah. Um, oh, I and, hate pets so much though. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> but be James, right? So, okay, fine. So I was like, I don't want the hassle. I don't want to have to deal with it. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and basically, it's like, I just want to keep things simple. But if you keep things too simple, then you your life is less rich. 
And so I did, so one of the things that I asked myself because I do have this this urge to like th- jettison too much off the ship is uh, to choose the bigger life. What is the bigger life? Um, because for some people, the bigger life would be not to have the dog because it's like, well, then I'll have more money for other things and I'll be more free to travel and, you know, I won't have my allergies or whatever. But for me, I was like, the bigger life would be to get the dog. That's the bigger life in my situation. And so we got it. And now, you know, we love Barnaby. He's so much fun. And just even just yesterday, I had to take him to the vet because he threw up all over the place. And I still love him and I'm happy. He definitely made my life more complicated, but um, but in a good way. But, but but other people don't have that problem. They don't have this this oversimplifying urge that I have. Um, But again, it's like you just have to think about what's true for you because sometimes people try to solve problems that they don't even have. Um, You know, like for me... uh, What's an example of... A problem that you don't have. Okay, so like another distinction that I make is overbuyers and underbuyers. So... Underbuyers are people like me. Are we we don't like to shop. We don't like errands. We tend to buy as little as we can at any one time. We will often like look at an object and think, well, well, maybe I don't need it, or I can buy this later. And it can be very inconvenient because you run out of things like toilet paper, or paper towels, or batteries. Um, you you know, so it's it's very inconvenient. And you also weirdly end up doing more errands because you're like, well, I was like, now I ha- I have to go buy this toothpaste because I only bought one tube of toothpaste the last time I was at the drugstore. And overbuyers have the opposite problem. Like, they tend to be like, I should buy five of these, or maybe I'll need this, or I'm going on a trip, I need this and this and this and this and this, or, oh, this might be a great gift for somebody one day, I'll buy it, and then I'll figure out who to give it to later, or, you know, uh, oh, I've got this newborn baby, I'm going to buy all these baby clothes, but, oh, whoops, my baby outgrew all these things before it was cold enough to wear them. You know, um, I have a friend who's an overbuyer, and she had cans of soup expire. You got a lot of cans of soup if your soup is expiring. Um, and they they feel like they have to do a lot of errands. They have a bunch of stuff that they have to manage. A lot of times stuff doesn't get used. Or sometimes things go bad just unused. Like if you have really nice cooking ingredients, sometimes they can kind of just go off because you haven't used this truffle oil or this vinegar in, in that time. So so they're both things. But a lot. Of, but as an underbuyer, I had sort of been trained by kind of, oh, we're all so materialistic. Like, every time I would get, go clothes shopping, I would really try not to buy very many things. And then I finally realized, Gretchen, that is not your problem. You should buy every single thing you can possibly imagine wearing because you hate to shop. You will not be back here for three years. You will so need all these clothes. If you could see anything you can possibly imagine yourself wearing, you should buy as much as you can because you don't overbuy. You underbuy. My problem is not having too much. It's like not getting enough. And so I have to school myself in buying enough. Um, and I've talked to so many underbuyers, and we're like, why is it that we just, like, do this? It so doesn't really like, make sense. It's almost like you have to be aware in your body of what's annoying you more. Yeah. So is it the thought of, like, the errand, like, oh, my God, now I got to yeah. buy some more? Or is it the thought of actually being in the store, buying too much, that bothers your body more? Yeah. Like, it seems like that's how you get in touch with who, who what your feelings are about something. But I guess it doesn't really, that goes to like why you're an underbuyer. And I guess I don't really care why I'm an underbuyer. I just know that I am. Mm -hmm. But I'm not that interested in causes. I've noticed that about myself. I'm kind of like, in that way, I'm a little bit shallow. Like, I'm not that interested in why. I'm not sure that I think it's knowable. And I'm a big believer in the genetic genetic roots of personality. Um, So I'm sort of more like, why don't you just deal with your situation rather than plumb the depths? But some people love to plumb the depths. I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, and she's constantly scoffing at me because um, I'm just like, ah, who knows why? (laughs) Let's just deal with it. Um, But, you know, there's a place for both.
So given so given all of your great books on happiness and habit habits and so on, the Happiness Project. Uh, um, I told you before, I always get uh, nervous when I'm saying titles because I forget. Uh, the Habits book is, which I just read again, better than before. Yeah. So, so final thing, what are three things, someone listening to this, what are three things they should think about or do or check off their box today to make an incremental movement towards more happiness? Um, well, in the short term, they should do 10 jumping jacks because that will give them a mood boost. Um, they should also write an email to a friend that they have been meaning to, like all of us have somebody like, I've been meaning, I should really get together. Do that today and make all a right, plan. I'm going to do that today. Make a plan and then put something on your calendar that you really honestly look forward to. Not something that you should do, not something that's fun for the whole family, if such a thing exists, but like something that you really are like, I cannot wait for that. Put that on your calendar. Like, plan that. Yeah. Is it is it a trip to the bookstore? Is it a concert? Is it like um, sometimes people just like going to certain stores? Like a friend of mine doesn't even like camping, but he loves the stuff, so he just goes and like walks around camping stores. He doesn't buy anything. He doesn't want any of it. He just gets a kick out of it. So every once in a while, just goes to. Or I've heard of people who go to super high end stores like furniture stores, just to look at the beautiful objects. It's like being in a museum, except that you can touch things. Or maybe you want to go to a museum, or maybe you would just want to lie on your couch and watch an episode of The Office. Um, But like, put something on there and really look forward to it, and then do it. All right, well, thank you so much, Gretchen. Thank you. It was so much fun to talk to you again. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less. And it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less, and if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.